All right. Hey, thank you for joining me. This is episode 31. What's good, Nate? Where you, Hello, first of all, where you Jay. at? Where you at right now? I am in Los Angeles. Nice. In uh, Studio City. No, not in Studio City. In Van Nuys. You know where Van Nuys is? You know the valley? Yep. Yep. I do. So you've been um, traveling back and forth a lot, right? Have you been traveling back yeah, and forth in New York City? I am now living in Los Angeles. Wow. It's the first time I've been in New York for 20 years. And uh, I, I am dating this woman. She lives here in the valley. And... I went to a convention or a summit in on February 24th, and then I came to LA for her grandmom's funeral, and I have not left. You're like, wow, to hell with this. You know what? The weather's out here nice. The weather's nicer. Every, <laughs> everybody smiles like me. <laughs> Crazy. I was out for a jog last night around 1 or 2 a.m., and one thing that I've noticed but I haven't really let wash over me the smells of flowers as you're jogging around you hit boom honeysuckle boom roses boom and it it's i've never smelled anything like that in my life it is so cool i've been exploring all these neighborhoods uh every day i get outside i jog or i get in the sun and it's it's really helped yeah, it's definitely helped for, I mean, me, uh, I, I mean, how did I wind up coming out here because I, we were on vacation, Kelly and I were on vacation and, um, and for those of you listening, this is a really cool story. We're on vacationing and when you're with someone for a long time, there comes a spurt where like, you, you just start arguing over little stuff, you, you know, and like people are like, you two okay. And, and I mean, you argue so much over little stuff um, to everybody else in the outside. It looks like you're, you're fighting, but to you, it's just like a normal conversation. And that's, that just comes with the territory or whatever. So what happened was we got into kind of a bad way before we got on vacation and we go to the hotel and she's like, do you want the top drawer or the bottom drawer? And I'm like, uh, bottom. <laughs> And then we just started laughing and we're just like, why are we fighting? <laughs> that was my coming to Jesus moment for my girl. And, and she was like, I like LA and I want to stay here. That was at the beach house in Hermosa Beach. And then um, um, three years later, we moved, uh, um, you know, we moved here. We, um, looked, like at, we looked at houses, right? We looked at houses, um, but uh, we knew what, where we wanted. So we visited Santa Monica, West Hollywood, but we used Hermosa Beach, like beat Hermosa Beach as a platform. Show me why this place is, is better than Hermosa Beach. And and just like smoking, like find, give me one reason why I should, couldn't find one reason. <laughs> Here I am, Hermosa Beach. So cool. So are you... Um, yeah, what a beautiful place you have down there. And perfect for you and your lifestyle it's perfect yeah hey listen you are the king of housewarming parties man that was <laughs> that was that was that was so much fun dude amber says hello amber says what's amber up, Nate, Nate amber <laughs> hey amber <laughs> yeah we're doing a live thing on this now too oh man i love that woman shoot she's so, got a beautiful baby i have to check in with her yeah, a little little alien. No, no, they all come out looking like aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Pop out like, take me to your leader. <laughs> Talk about, yeah, right? That yeah. baby was going to be a volleyball player. It's probably going to be. She's tall. Her man is tall. Yeah. Woo! Former um, uh, the athlete at a UTSA, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. Oppo, mm. uh, opposite. People for, forget. 
you know, we run her in co-ed games and we're running X where she's hitting the two. And I'm like, when I first met her, I'm like, that girl's, that girl's hitting front twos off the X on a men's height net, dude. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, they started digging her because after a while, you, you don't, you're not like, oh, she's not going to hit it because she's a girl. You got to, when people started playing her like a dude, they started picking it up. But, but getting her at the beginning was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> one time when she first met me she thought i was little josh because we were the two little guys at central park this was like 20 years ago or whenever it was and she thought that i was him and i was like i mean we're both small but really like come on <laughs> like we, and we got dark hair okay i got you but but anyway we became good friends there's no, assuming you guys had the same body type, which you don't, you were built a little bit better. Assuming that you had the same amount of hair, that wasn't true. I mean, you was, he was kind of losing his, you used to have yours. The dude never smiles and you smile all the time. Can't you just differentiate two short people by their smile? <laughs> assuming both the, when both the uh, jump, jump high. I think both of you guys really jump high though. I think your jump for indoor beach and grass is the same because I think your indoor muscles cross-trained you to to jump on the sand and then when you came back you already had your muscle memory of, of the indoor approach. Where like a lot of beach players that jump high in the sand, you would think they jump high in indoor and they don't because they don't have the, the 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 muscle memory of the the runway and the whatever. So, but so you 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 out jumped him on. on uh, I think. I think the sand was a wash, but I think generally, I think you you you, you had a good you you had a pretty healthy jump. First time I met you, right, Central Park. Yeah, yeah we, right. and we beat Justin and Josh. Well, whatever. That's it cool. Was that was fun. <laughs> it was fun. You know, I grew up playing on sand and a kind of a Central Park like place in Allentown, Pennsylvania, called Cedar Beach with my best friend, and he was. You know him. He, he was this uh, six foot one black dude in Pennsylvania, and there were two guys, two black dudes that were playing volleyball at this level in Pennsylvania. And it was 1996, and it's when Penn, Penn State won the national championship. Right, that was it the year after. Yeah, yeah. Like, was it the year after? Yeah. So Ivan Contreras was on their team, and Ooh. and it was, and and you you can actually speak much more about this because I don't really tap check in with volleyball, but. Penn State was the one of the only teams that could hang with the West Coast teams. So when we played uh, at a place called Emmaus High School, uh, there was us and Parkland and then a couple teams from Lancaster. But we were ranked fifth in the state. And Walt was six foot one, had a 45-inch vertical, and we played beach together. And we knew that, I mean, I was not going to get to a certain level, but Walt – He's still short, but he had the he had the athleticism to get to a professional level. So when we were 19, we I said, okay, I'll go to Florida with you. Let's go to Florida, and you know we'll we'll play. And this is when I was a freshman, so it must have been 1997 or 1998 or something. And we went down, and he picked the beach, and we went down to Fort Myers Beach, Florida. He chose Fort Myers Beach. Everyone cleared out of Fort Myers Beach. In two, uh, like 20,000 people left the town. Yeah. As opposed to like Miami or Fort Lauderdale where there was good players. It was the two of us down the street from the Hooters playing by ourselves and with other people. We would travel to tournaments maybe once or twice uh, for the summer. But it was kind of a wash. And the point was to get him a better partner, to get him someone that he could level up with. But we never, we never got that point. And he, although his athleticism was so advanced, 
he never had that like killer mental and you know at the at the top level it's that mental prowess that, that separates a lot of those elite athletes yeah and and when I talked to Canyon after playing with him indoors, Ken, Canyon for, Seaman for those of you guys at home, yeah, I asked him. I said, "What, what is it at that level where everyone's incredible? You know, you were you know silver medalist or whatever. What makes? How do you win? How how, how is it? How is it at that level? Because I've never I've played with you and seen how you are a different breed of human than than what I'm used to yeah. playing." Yeah, but wait, he, go ahead. And he said, you know, I you, you need at least one thing when you're playing at that level that's going to that you can count on. He said I always knew that I was going to get one or two or three aces a game and that was going to set me aside and give us an edge and it was my serve and I I leaned in on my serve very often. I thought that was so cool talking to him at that at that having that conversation with him, just a man who had already gone through his, the, his career and now is looking for the next chapter. Uh, what a great guy. And it was so fun to see him and play with him because I used to play him on as a video game. He was like one of my, I could choose Canyon Seaman. And, and here I was passing to him, you know, 15 years later. Uh, He's right though. On that served to space, dude. As, yeah. um, and I mean, God, we can use him as an example, Nate, like, He's one of those guys, you're playing doubles, and there's service lanes in doubles, you know what I mean? Just like indoor. And his serve, his serve to space was so fast. If you're not literally like, you know, one move to the ball or like facing your angle where, where, you, where you have like that one step, it's gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's gone. And let me tell you something. If Canyon Seaman got three aces in a set, the, um, that doesn't even tell the whole story. Those, those are balls that are actually aces. Okay, we're not talking about the balls that you, that he made you pass out of system that you got to bring back where the hitter loses his court vision, which is, you know, contingent on a call, I guess, at that level. I get that. But if you're on under system under constant duress, man, you know, not only are you three points better because you got the three aces. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Bye. that's very, very I'm so glad you brought that up because you can say that about the uh, um peewee volleyball t- kid volleyball you could say that high school volleyball you're like you'll see a bunch of kids that can't pass and like an under underhand serve 25 straight points and you'll go college right um on um penn state um ivan contreras had a very good jump serve when jump serves weren't kind of they weren't a, a thing yet they were a thing but not but not a thing where like all six players were doing it you had they were specialists you know, yeah. with the exception of Brazil in 90, 88 and 92, who had four guys, not everybody was doing it. You know, um, the U.S. team had Eric Sato. He was their jump serve specialist, right? He'd come in and he'd play sure. some defense. So so it's so cool that that, that serve, serve is king, man. Serve is just yeah. king. And what's you it look like at now? What, what's happening in the, in the professional world now? Is everyone jump serving? Is that how it... Well, for outdoor volleyball, because you... Um, have to pass with your forearms. Uh, jump floaters are nice because they always catch you high, and you can't just you can't just zoom. You know, uh, for those of you listening at home, I'm I'm gonna say something you're not gonna like. It is not illegal to receive serve um, outdoor on the sand with your hands. It's just illegal to double hit it. 
So, you know, and it catches a lot, a lot of referees by surprise. They blow the whistle. You look at them like, what's the call? And they got to call something because they blew the whistle. Oh, it was a carry. Oh, uh, look funny. Oh, it's stuck. Or, you know, um, CBVA, uh, since you live in L.A., uh, and if you, I don't know if you go to any tournaments, CBVA actually handwritten into their rules. No matter what, double hit, you can't. So just so so they let everybody off the hook as far as making calls. It's it's illegal. So it depends on the league. But the general volleyball rule is not illegal to receive serve. Um, just like old school indoor rules, everyone thought it was just formals only. No, it was never illegal. It's just illegal to double or carry it. It's just mm. so difficult to do it without doubling mm. or carrying. Nobody did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we played indoor at a time when. Yeah. Right. They changed indoor. They changed the rule in two thousand one. So we. Um, so to answer your question, the float, the, the art of the float serve, no one really messed with the jump serve because if you hit the top of the tape, right, dead ball, they got they got the ball back. Because if you remember, there was no let serve. So, uh, so after there was a let serve allowed, and after it was rally, those things kind of offset each other. You took a chance, and you're like, what the hell? So, right. Mm -hmm. So Nate, the, one of the there's a bunch of things I'd love to talk to you about, and that shit just All fell right. again. We're just gonna leave it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my set's falling apart um, i loved it it's great so um yeah it's my little volleyball backdrop so we got a lot of things to talk about but the one the real reason why i got you on is i want to talk about groovy projects okay this is something you've done a lot of films and you've done a lot of television um and and, and it seems like every time i turn on my tv there's a guy waiting tables there's a guy you know uh, um crashing into a car or some yeah. guy in a medical a medical outfit doing CPR on someone, I'm like, damn, it's Nate. Damn, it's Nate. Yeah. Damn, it's Nate. Yeah. So, but I think something you found somewhere in the middle of all of this, and I don't know if it was on an up or a down, and I want you to walk me through it. I'm going to give you the floor because you know I can talk. Um, <laughs> tell everybody what Groovy Projects is. Uh, okay, cool. So I got to New York, uh, and I quickly got my equity card, which is, for those of you who don't know, which is, the, the, the union, the stage union. So all Broadway performers are equity. Uh, and so I got my equity card doing a children's show called Amelia Bedelia, The Baby and Other Storybooks. And I traveled around and I got my ex equity insurance and I got the card and I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's play, let's play ball with the, with the professionals. Let's, let's go there. And very quickly I realized that that was not my dream uh, because I had, come up with this fusion of jazz music and hip hop music. So the two loves of my life in the, in the music world are old school nineties hip hop hmm. and jazz tunes like Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, the American songbook. So I took those two art forms and I combined them. So I would, it was kind of like diggable planets. You remember diggable planets? Oh, da, 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 da. I'm they, cool like that. They, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to uh, see a show at Juilliard, and it was the first year that Juilliard had their uh, jazz program. So these people, they, Wynton Marcells handpicked these guys, 17 of them, guys and girls, uh, to get paid to get a stipend to go to Juilliard. So I saw them in a show, and I thought, they will get it. They will totally understand what I'm trying to do. So I was in a movie at the time. Uh, I was paying them with my waitering money to, to rehearse with me. They would roll their eyes because these are the golden children at Juilliard. 
and we sh- we did this album. So I was in this movie uh, called Mine Mineville with uh, Paul Servino's kid Mike Servino, and I was at a party, and I met uh, this woman because I was playing my demo with these Juilliard kids uh, for Mike Servino, and she said, I got to get this CD because they were CDs at the time. And I said, it's in my demo. She happened to be a producer on As the World Turns. And she said, do you want to come be on my show? And I said, well, I'm trying to produce, uh, pursue this musical uh, artist. That's the track. Because Justin Timberlake, you know, if you're a singer, you're allowed to act. But they don't let actors sing. They don't let Scarlett Johansson sing. They don't let... Uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez, they let sing because she was in Selena, whatever. But it's, it, at the time, it was very hard to cross over from. You can, I mean, uh, you can name them. There's so few, right? The, yeah. Jamie Foxx, you know, he's all purpose. Um, it's Jennifer yeah. Lopez and Lumen Color, she was a dancer and singer and then got yep. into acting. So it was easy for her to get an act and then come back. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're exactly right. So that was my thing. And, and so her name is Jen, Jennifer Maloney Prezioso now. Uh, and she has won a uh, couple of Emmy Awards and she ended up later producing some Broadway, about five or six Broadway shows, got a Tony Award. So that's what I, I was actually going to come out to L.A. to pursue my music and to pursue my music and acting. And when I met her, I said, no, I'm going to stay in New York uh, because to have someone that is successful believe in you that much that's what you're looking for as an artist. So she had done well so far and she saw the commercial commercial viability of what I was doing. So she wrote this movie musical around this fusion of music. And we very quickly after we finished, we sent it out to all the people that we knew. I'm sure I sent you one. And one of the guys who won the Tony for Hairspray said, this is a movie. This is storytelling. So within the month, we were in New Line Cinema and we were pitching New Line on this movie musical that she had written around my fusion of music. And they loved it. Uh, we were talking to the VP. We weren't just talking to a secretary, but it was a time when Elf and Lord of the Rings was coming out. This is 2003 or four. And they, uh, they and then for the next few years, people thought, hey, this is, uh, this is great but we're looking for Justin Timberlake or Jake Gyllenhaal or someone to be in it. And we kind of stuck to our guns where Rocky, Sylvester Savone stuck, his, stuck to his guns about Rocky and Matt Damon stuck to his guns about Goodwill Hunting because they wanted to hire Chris O'Donnell for that. So in our, I would say ignorance and naivete, we, we stuck to our guns and this multi-million dollar project really never jumped off the ground. Right. Uh, so that, that a lot of my time in New York was making music with, uh, fantastic geniuses from Juilliard, Manhattan school of music, different, incredible depth and rapping and beatboxing. And I got a chance to work with some really cool people. I got to work with Peter Guns, uh, who's now in love and hip hop, but he's known for that song, Uptown Baby, if it wasn't for the Bronx. Oh uh, he, yeah. Lord Tariq. Lord Tariq. And yeah, yeah, if it wasn't go. for the wrong, this rap shit probably never will be going on. So tell me where you from? Uptown, baby. Uptown, baby. Come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, you got the right man it. for the job. <laughs> I love it. And uh, I, I got a chance to uh, become friends with Alan Cumming. He did a song with, with me, uh, which was really awesome because he's won some Tonys and he's such a, a cool guy and cool performer. Jane Monheit. So I, I did a bunch of 
music, mixing jazz and hip hop. And I did some TV bits. Uh, like you were saying, I did some TV bits, little things, nothing huge. Um, but I was pursuing the, I was pursuing the music and, um, it never popped off. So basically what happened was I made five albums and Jen was making Broadway shows, uh, producing Broadway shows. So I had all my eggs in that basket. Okay. And I come from a background and I was very proud of what I've, what I've done and what I was creating with some really amazing people. Uh, but we knew that the song style and the, and the genre, we needed that, that movie push because it wasn't going to be a top 40 kind of thing. Uh, it wasn't like the time now where you can put it up on Spotify and people will find you. Uh, okay. So uh, I guess to, to, to some, to break it down, what happened after that was she had the idea of shooting one of my arrangements uh, at a school because I come from a, my parents were educators are my mom still deals with preschool. My dad was an educator, my sister, my brother-in-law, my other sister was a teacher. So I come from a camp counselor and teaching background. And I, uh, my, so my best friend, Jen, when 2011, when this happened, a lot of bullying was happening. Uh, a lot of bullying. Uh, this one, uh, Tyler Comente, uh, committed suicide. A lot of the things happened. And Jen had the idea about shooting a music video for kids about bullying. And we did that. So we shot this music video in upstate New York at a school, a BOCI school, where nine school districts send their kids to this one school uh, with behavioral problems or any type of problems. Uh, it's kind of a last chance school. So we shot that video in around 2012. And I kind of found my come to Jesus moment or my Eureka moment where I was, where I was taking what I love and combining it with education, which is part of who I am. So the Groovy Project, that was the name of the song was called the Groovy Project. And basically it was a beatboxer that I had met who is, his name is uh, Yuri Lane, who is famous for being harmonica beatboxing. So he looped and I really didn't beatbox at the time. He looped this really cool um, beatbox uh, loop. And then I had an upright bass player. Right. So we had this loop and then I would, I would sing over it with a whole bunch of people and then rap. So we turned this rap, which was originally about racism. We added this thing about being um, a good human. So that rap for that video, which was a one shot video, Joe DeBonis, Jen's friend, who's won 10 or 11 Emmys, he came up and shot this really cool one-shot video. Uh, we did this with about 120 kids and me walking through, performing with them and them doing these things, turning around signs, skateboarding, doing whatever. The lyrics to that, I still remember, they were about being a good kid. So it's awaken a revolution with your friends and something's going to change victory in the end. Start writing petitions, expose what's missing, refuse to listen to the hiss and all distance. Some of y'all doing great working hard through school, improving the world. You found kindness was cool. What do you want? Just education. Y'all had a movement with the students of the nation, boys and girls rising up to change the world. But this to unfurl, got to dig for your pearl. Not just you, of course, the people that you reach, the strength y'all have, the walls y'all breach. It's right there that you got all the power 
power can't stop till you're done. Make use of every hour. You got the key. It's your generation. Changing attitude, a grand realization. Man in the mirror, be proud of what you see. Fascinating world when you live humbly. You got my R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Thanks for inspiration you give to me. What's a rainbow without all its colors? What's so special if you're just like the others? Yo, different is cool. Yo, different is unique. Different is a goal that innovators seek. Need kids everywhere to step up and do the part. Reach out with open arms. Reach out with open hearts. Change happens from law. Change happens from art. Change happens from us. Hold my hand and let's start. So I did this song and I did that rap. And these kids loved it because celebrities retweeted it. And they were really proud of being part of something positive. And I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to use my art uh, in this way. So I became fixated on trying to do this in schools in New York City, where I'm from. And I had been volunteering uh, at a school in Brownsville, which for those of you who aren't from New York, Brownsville's a really rough part of New York. So <laughs> I think would... of Flatbush Avenue, except a little bit worse. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm from Flatbush. So yeah. yeah. And so, so my buddy, my volleyball player, buddy, Lam Shin Lam, uh, he was a principal at that school and I was working, um, in New York and he said, just come do anything. I don't care. There's no art in our school. Can you come? I'll pay you a substitute teacher's rate. And I was working at a restaurant, a famous restaurant at the time called Bagatelle. So I was like, I don't need that money. I'll just volunteer. Yeah. Bagatelle take care of you, boy. Right. So, I mean, I, whatever. But so I went to the school and I started doing with little kids, with third graders, I started doing um, music history and it was specifically black history through music, right? Cause it was 99% black kids in this school. So we would, we would go Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, James Brown, and we would work backwards. We'd start with Drake and we'd work backwards. Oh, you did present was, the past. Yeah. Okay. So it was like the person that you love is influenced by this person. And the person that that, that person was influenced by this person. So we were showing such pride in, this music, which is the love, the love that I have, this jazz, hip hop, R&B, rock, Motown, all came from the black culture, right? So I was, I was showing them how amazing the music is from, first of all, systematic oppression and, and really rough times came the best music ever created out of this country. And that is something to be really proud of. Absolutely. So, so we got all the way back to Billie Holiday and Strange Fruit. And things, things along that line and going, this, this is something amazing. So, yeah, so that was what I was doing with the third graders. And for the eighth, seventh graders, we were doing, um, going through the, the curriculum, they were reading The Pearl and some other book at the time. We were having them write raps about The Pearl. And then, so that's kind of where I got my, uh, I don't know, I kind of got a little experience doing that, just volunteering and doing what I could with them. And I started loving it and learning as much as I could about what it's like for, first of all, the underserved population. Um, and how do, we, how do we go somewhere where they love being, whether it's YouTube mm-hmm. or, you know, it's, times have changed now. Now it's TikTok, Instagram, right? But at the time it was right. YouTube. That's where like- are they going? Where do they want to be? Mm-hmm. And if, go there. And then put a little spinach in their pizza or put some vitamins in their candy, right? So how do you do that? And that's what I became fixated on and obsessed with. So I started creating and I started doing whatever work I could. Brooklyn, Bronx, Harlem, 
Queens. I just started working for other people, doing what I could in different schools, all underserved kids. Um, I, this happened for years. So that was in 2011. 2014 was the first year I went to Flint, Michigan. Started working in Flint. This was before the water crisis hit. So, but Flint, Michigan was still the second most uh, violent city in the country. So I was so lucky to go out there with this amazing man called Kendrick uh, Jones, who brought me out there to work with their kids. And when I was in Flint, I asked the kids, what did they want to write about? What did they want to share with the world? And the, one of the kids said, you know, people think we're bad because we're from Flint and it's called Murder Town, but you know, we're not our crime rate. And it like tore me up to hear that. And I was like, wow, okay, so that's our song. So we created this song, We Are Not Our Crime Rate. Yeah. And and it was so cool to see them. And at the time, I was able to have a, the Shop Floor Theater Company work with me. So I was able to have, I think, 10 people, part of my our team, creating this video. And it was really fun and gratifying. The kids loved it. And there were some really talented kids part of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I just kept on doing that in New York, going to different places, working for the Child Center of New York, for Children's Aid Society. And about... Two years ago, two plus years ago, I was bringing in a lot of my Broadway friends because, you know, I have a performing background. So I have a lot. And when you get to our age, it's either they're doing really well or they're doing something else. Yeah, right. When you're in your 40s. Yeah, because you it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a poor man's craft. Right. You could you, 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 you invest in it. You invest this money and you invest this time. And sooner or later you run out of money or sooner or later you become an age where you're doing a running man. You're, st- you're, you're running, but you're standing still and you, and, and you got to say, fuck this. I, I got to, you know, uh, I got to get out of this unless you're independently wealthy and you just love it. Um, and those people are so few. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, no. <laughs> well, this is the thing for me. I, I, I dabbled in the, in the, in the acting and uh, I never pursued it fully. Uh, I was still holding on to the, the dream of this movie coming out. Uh, that was my thing. I thought um, you did and, good though. You, have a, you and, had a good career. Well, Sorry, and, go well you know, I've, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for what I've done. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, it's a, it's a different thing. It's kind of like, if you equate it to volleyball, there are very few pros out there. There are millions of volleyball players and there are a handful of people that are playing on a regular basis like Troy or like whoever yeah. your friends that are doing it. There's very few of them. And yeah, I got to have him back on the show. He was awesome. Yeah, he's a great I, 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 I put him on the show and he got all emotional. We started talking about Eric Zahn, the guy who, who um, one, of, one of our players committed suicide after AVP New York. Uh, oh, jumped yeah. jumped out of the 29th floor in, in Atlantic City, and mm-hmm. um, him and um, they weren't fishing buddies, but you become closer to some of these guys, and you and you know he's this guy's kind of misunderstood in his personality because he always tries to like like say shit like like to throw you for a loop like for oh, example Troy? for example no um um zon it's like okay. what's up eric how you doing he's like i went with my dick in my hand you know so he's it's like one of those guys that make you say wait wait what you know but for me you know the more you know him the more you expect the line and if he doesn't shock you then you're friends <laughs> you know so you become close to him in that respect and and troy and eric just started crying a little bit and i'm like Freak, man! I didn't mean to do that. I was just wanted to talk about volleyball and, and whatever. But Troy, yeah, but we can definitely. I would love to have Troy back on the show. Uh, but yeah, I, so but I don't want to steer away Jeff, from. Go ahead. Our volleyball buddy Jeff told me that Troy is looking to do some 
nonprofit or impact work Good. Uh, where he, when he travels mm-hmm. and we have yet to connect, but uh, we've been going back and forth on Facebook talking about, you know, I be, so fast forward to today, the groovy projects is now a 501 C three. And I, I have been in the impact space, meaning I've been working with people that are on this planet to do something and make it better uh, uh, in their way. So mm-hmm. that could be, I care about the food sourcing. I care about trafficking. I care about the environment. I care about youth education, whatever it ends up being. So there's, there's people that like myself that are dedicated to their cause. And so I've been part of this world for over two years now. Uh, and it's been a very intentional where I've been going to these really cool summits and events for people that are out there actively trying to do some good good in the world no doubt uh and one of them that i'm part of is called nexus global and that's created it was created in 2011 i believe uh and it's created with next generation philanthropists people that are going to be given a lot of money a lot of money uh and people like me social entrepreneurs that are boots on the ground trying to do that work and have us in the same space and talk about what are the ways that are effective and when these resources come to 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 avail available they come to these because a lot of them don't have the money yet they're the kids of these billionaires or multimillionaires. so um yeah so that's the, it, so my life now is focused solely on on impact work and how do i focus on educating and creating stuff that our youth is going to be really interested in uh so uh, about two years ago, I was bringing in some of my Broadway buddies. Uh, one of them I just just was talking to right before we got on the call. His name is Daniel Watts. I would bring in. He was the lead in the Tina Turner musical, and he's on the last OG. And he he's a really one of the most talented guys out there. Um, we I would bring them in or enlist them in some way because it was really cool for these kids. And then I have a friend, Margot Bingham who uh, used to volunteer with me in Brownsville, who's now doing really well on TV. She's was in, she's got a habit, Boardwalk Empire. She's just in New Amsterdam now. She said, why don't you get some famous people to do what you're doing? And I said, Margo, you're, I mean, I know Broadway people, but you're as famous as I know. <laughs> like, I know, yeah. you know, I don't know. She's like, well, I know Common. I know Questlove. I know, I'm like, okay, let's go. So basically what, what I've created and what I had been working on for years was a curriculum. It was a YouTube curriculum where we would go through YouTube clips, Kanye West videos, whatever videos, Drake videos, and and then talk about it and how that applies to their social emotional journey and what they're going through and those prevalent issues that they're dealing with because they're, and I had curriculum from K to one, three to six and six to 12. So we would talk about really deep stuff that these kids were going through and help them navigate that that really that really hard time in their life, and in a fun way. Uh, and then they would make music videos and do do different things for YouTube, which is what they want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole mission was to cultivate empathetic global citizens through discussion and the arts. Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Uh, uh, since then. Let me let me tell you something. What's um, that? There's a bunch of things on my mind, but I want to start with the thing where uh, it speaks to me personally, as opposed to how it speaks to other people. I was going to get to tr- back to Troy Field in a minute. Um, 
the one thing I always get from you, I mean, you always seem like this fun guy and you always, you, you know, um, you have this, you, you're like this old soul and you have this heart you wear on your sleeve you, and you, and your caring comes from, um, from the, uh, the right place. I was, I was going to try, I was looking for another word. No, fuck it. The right place, uh, an original place, a meaningful place, a real, no, real, a real place, not because you have to and because it's the right thing to do, but because also be also because you want to. You know, the, they say the, the Lord loves a cheerful giver or whatever, and this and that. So, um, But the one thing from my personal thing, every time I talk to you, there's always a point in our conversation where you don't mean to do it, but you constantly remind me that um, <clears throat> um, symbolism's nice. Activism's better, you know? And I think that's why Troy Field came to you and asked what he can do, because there are some people... You know, like Troy Fields an avid Christian, and I know he goes to a lot of Bible studies, and and there's sure. a group of uh, AVP people that that are that are that and they have their little Bible thing and this and that. So, and I think I said something. I didn't. I didn't mean to be offhanded. I said, you know, talking about it's one thing, doing something about it is the other, right? Like, I grew up in a church, Coney Island Gospel Assembly. Mm. Um, you know, and I was in the choir, and that's where my strengths played to the needs. I could sing, um, but. What I did, 5 o'clock, 5.30 every morning, twice a week, I would go to Brooklyn House of Detention or Rikers Island. I'm 16 years old, mind you, all right? And we would go to prison, and we would just talk to uh, random inmates, anyone that wanted to talk. You want to talk about God? Fine. You don't, want, you don't want to talk about God? Let's talk about anything else. Let's talk about sports. Let's talk about why you're in here. Talk about why why this, this you know, this whole jail thing and what led you here is not a, maybe, <laughs> you know, why it's not a good friggin' idea. So, um... So it's one of those things every now and then I just get tired and I, and I want to share the message and this and that. And then I see someone like you out there just grinding and working all the time. And then I'm just like, man, you, you know, you and you and you get get me back into it. Sometimes the message uh, prescribes a, a physical or a verbal um, um, spreading or amplification of, of, of something that's meaningful, I could help people. And, and me, I just gave you an example on one thing's what I was doing about it. I was doing, I was doing that at age six, 16, me and my father. They would only let the men do it, okay? The church, the, we're sexist like that, whatever. Um, at Christmas, we would go um, and sing Christmas songs. The choir would go to Rikers yeah. Island and sing like Christmas songs. And then after that, we, we were just chatting this and that. So these are things where... Um, like I said, so, um, symbolism's nice, you know. Hashtag Me Too. Okay, yeah, you got everybody in. Activism is 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 um, and it's not for everybody. I not sound like I'm casting aspersions on people who are not out there doing it. Not everybody can do that. I mean, Troy is not doing it, but there's some people they just want to they they want to know the how. Troy came to you because he wants he's he's all he wants to know the how, oh, yeah. and there's some people that they they, they, they say they want to do it and they don't, and that's okay too. You know, chip a little money. Maybe that maybe maybe that money is where is uh, I mean, right. That counts, too, Nate. So um, so that's the first part I got from a personal yeah. perspective. Um, and I wanted to put up a picture of Troy Field. Um, it's a volleyball po- podcast. But but yeah, um, cool. um, yeah there he is. That There's guy. that man with the pink hat. He puts the H in hunk, too, by the way. I'm a little gay for that guy. Um, there it is. All right, that was Troy Fields. Got him in there. You you don't see it, but because oh, we're cool. because um you're not in yeah. studio. In studio, you get to see and hear everything, and it's and it gets hot as hell in here too. So next time we do that, come with a tank top if you ever come if you ever come back on the podcast, which I think you will. Um, so that was my first point. And the second point is, I hate bullies. I fucking 
I hate bullies. And I'm going to lose some points on this podcast and YouTube's going to flag me for language. I fucking hate bullies, dude. I fucking hate bullies. Now, there's a bunch of ways that you know that people could get bullied. And bear with me on this, all right? I'm, 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 I'm going to bring it back. Um, there are people who get bullied in school. Uh, because they're 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 smaller and they're weaker. There are people that get bullied in school because their hair's white and they and they're not maybe they're an albino because they look different and people are afraid of what they don't understand and the only thing they could do is just is just jab at it until until they feel better about themselves. And then there's a level of bullying where people keep it pent up where they just fucking explode. And this is where I was getting to. I was in I went to John Dewey High School. I couldn't go to my zone high school. My zone high school was Prospect Heights, dude. Someone yeah. got shot the first day of school. So it was High School of Art and Design, which I got in because I could, I could draw, or John Dewey, which was in Bensonhurst, which had a nice mixture of the Italians, the, the Chinese, the Russian Jews from Brighton Beach, um, you know, so, um, uh, some of their brothers from Bed-Stuy, you know, they were um, uh, people from Queens, you know, it was an independent study school. So what happened was I was getting bullied by this Russian dude. He was smaller than me. Uh, but I wasn't a fighter back then. I was I was a mama's boy. I was hugging up, hugging up on my mama's leg. So kind of let him get away with it. And then there's another guy. There's another guy. And, and, and this guy happened to be Russian too. So this whole time I'm getting bullied. I'm getting hazed. Junior high school, you know, everyone gains up on me. Um, you know, I didn't have any friends. Scared to death to tell my family because my sister was part of um, this, this gang called MOB. And she's part of, she's part of every gang in New York. So I couldn't tell her. Because the whole, you know, then it gets messy. Then you got a whole bunch of full-grown adults going to a junior high school and a high school beating up kids. <laughs> so, um, so what happened was I'm trying to talk to this girl and this Russian guy is bullying me in front of this girl. And I just try to walk away and he punches me in the back. And then I just keep going. I don't fight back and I leave like, like, like in New York, like a bitch. And then I go to the stairs in the hallway and then I just stop. And something took over. I just snapped. Bro Brooklyn style. Because snapping Brooklyn style is when you have to stand up for yourself because if you don't, they could, they get, and in our minds, and sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, they think they get to do that whenever they want to. So somewhere in the middle of, of all of this bullying, I stopped and I changed my mind and I snapped and I went back, mate. And I went into the locker room and he looks at me like this and I grabbed him by the throat. And the guy punched me in the face three times and I didn't feel shit. And the next thing you know, before I even knew it, the dude's purple. I'm choking the life out of him. Like, you ever see Lord of the Rings? Like, Schmeagol wants to ring. <laughs> um, and um, I'm choking the living, the, the life out of this motherfucker, right? And then... The With those hands? Come on. Those hands? <laughs> so, what happened was, the next day, I leave school early. I skip out on class. And then I heard there was about 30 Russian dudes waiting for me at the train station. All right, turns out this kid, you know, knows people. Brighton Beach, he has friends, part of some gang or whatever. And then I never went back to school. My, for, for almost a year, I hid the fact from my mother that I, 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 um, she thought I was going to school every morning. I wasn't. I was going to the arcade in Coney Island, favorite sportland, um, playing gauntlet. I knew, how to, I knew how to play one game for like three hours, put a quarter in, generate health. And um, for almost a year, 
hiding right under their nose because Coney Island's right next to Brighton Beach for the people that don't know anything about Brooklyn. Um, and Coney Island's also where I was born and uh, grew up before I moved to Flatbush. I moved to Flatbush when I was nine, so I'm all get I'm I'm all ghetto. Um, so. Finally, they, they found out because a truant, you know, said and this and that. So, and my mom still doesn't know. She still never knew. And I told my father later before he passed away. And, um, but my point is, there are so many things that happen to people that are bullied. They, there are people that kills their self, their self esteem. You know, every time they get teased, it's like they're supposed to. It's like they find their place and get teased. And then there's some people that just keep it inside until they explode. And when they explode, and when you when you respond disproportionately, people look at you like, what the fuck is wrong with him? Oh my God, Jason went crazy. No, no, in that situation, Jason went Jason. So, um, so this whole bullying thing, uh, and I don't. I, it's so weird because I thought I was getting somewhere and I, and I totally drove us both off the, off the cliff. No, that was great. Um, but I guess I can finish the same way I started. I hate fucking bullies. Just because you're, you're, you're going to pick on someone because they're different or because you're bigger and this and that. Bullshit. Bullshit. I fucking hate bullies. And now I'm going to breathe. So that's great. That's good. I never knew that story. That's a, that's a great story. Um, well, I couldn't this- fight. I couldn't fight, but I was strong. Yeah. In high school, oh, yeah. I was 255 pounds. Oh, yeah. I was a big, barrel-bodied, long-armed, skinny-armed, uh, big-handed dude. I couldn't fight. My father found out about it, and he taught me how to box because my father was in the finals in Golden Gloves a few years ago, semi. So he, my oh, father wow. knew how to use his hands. And, but so I knew how to fight, but I was still scared. And yeah, then, and then the military, I joined the military, and that, was, that just knocked all that, all that, that whole fear thing. And I don't... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Well, and this is, this is where I, this is why I feel what I'm doing is really important because, um, obviously hurt people hurt people. Right. So, um, whatever that Russian kid was going through, it was going through something, you know, he had some, some going on and he took that on at on you and whether it was bad, bad parenting or bad environment or bad something, this was his way of getting feeling powerful, and uh, and uh, who knows what he's up to? He was so t- tiny, dude. Who knows? He was so he tiny. He was like five left. foot six, and yeah. oh my but, god! Mm-hmm. So this is where I'm. This is why I'm. This is what gets me up in the morning. So knowing that, and knowing that with technology, uh, and. Uh, nanotechnology and cybernetics and what we have with our phones and what we have with our media and what we have with all the things that are happening now. Um, we, as the, as a human race, are, are moving so quickly into technology. Uh, we have uh, a real disconnect with our emotional lives because now we're so isolated in many ways. Um, so I am focused on how do I foster empathy in humanity? How do I get people to care about each other? And that sounds really, you know, Disney and horrible, but how do you do that in the coolest possible way? So about this, this is, I'm so glad that you, that you, that you told me that story about, about two years ago when Black Panther and Wonder Woman came out a year and a half, two years ago when Wonder um, the kids that I was working with in Harlem lost their minds. They loved it. 
because first of all, like black pride, like black excellence, right? That this amazing superhero came out. From the motherland too. From the motherland, right? <clears throat> and then Wonder Woman came out, totally kick-ass, just, you know. So I thought, because I was going to the United Nations a bunch with Nexus, I thought, how do we give them kick-ass superheroes like Black Panther and Wonder Woman? But also, how do we make it, give them more of the power? Like in Minecraft, they're creating things in Minecraft. They're doing things. They're creating music videos. They're doing stuff. How do we give that them the opportunity to be part of a Marvel-like universe? How do we do that? How do we get them involved and and invested in something like that, that they care about. Cause everyone loves superheroes. Right. Everybody loves superheroes. Oh man. That was, that's my whole life. It's my that's your whole life. So <laughs> actually, I'm going to ask you, uh, this will be really fun for you. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Okay. I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn it on, on you. All right. Well, it's a podcast. So it's not an interview. So, <laughs> right, so do it. <laughs> who is your favorite superhero and why? Um, basically anybody from the X-Men, I'll, I'll give you a specific character later. It's because X-Men predicated their, 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 their forte was protecting and defending a world that despises and hates them because they're different. And that's, that's good. Why. And, um, so, so I can go, I can go Wolverine severely misunderstood. Um, I could go any of the X-Men, but because Wolverine's the most popular one and the most intriguing one and, and doesn't give a fuck what anyone thinks, I guess Wolverine. Great. You know? That's a but, great But idea. because they're mutants and because of their, their, with who, the, who and what they were, any of them, Storm, I could pick Storm. She's a Cairo. She was a thief from Cairo, Egypt that, you know, turned her life around. I could pick Rogue. And, and every time she touched someone, she absorbed their powers and memories and almost killed them. So she couldn't touch anybody. I could pick right. Beast. He turned blue. He mutated and turned blue, for Christ's <laughs> sakes. Um, so um, any of the X-Men. But um, as right. a, I mean, childhood superheroes were um, uh, Spider-Man, like childhood superheroes were anybody human. They weren't anyone superhuman. I always worshiped people who were everyday people who, who could become superheroes as opposed to someone like Superman who's from another planet um, where if you watch Kill Bill, his, his costume wasn't a Superman outfit. His costume was the Clark Kent outfit. Yes. It was yes. his way yeah. uh, of disguising himself and, and conveying how pathetic us as human beings are. I don't, I don't know if I want that guy as my superhero. <laughs> That's great. Gee, thanks. That's You're going to save us all? Fuck you. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> all right. What is one quirky thing that you can do? Can you rap, beatbox, do voices, impressions, sounds? One thing. Um, I'm very good at musicals. I'm good at singing. I'm Let good me at hear singing. something. Um, I hear the ticking of the clock. I'm lying here. The room's pitch dark. <laughs> Right. Yes. Uh, yes. Wonderful. Okay. And what I used to beatbox in high school. You know. Oh, yeah. baby, you. <laughs> take, take me out to the ball game. Yeah. I, I said, buy me some peanuts. I buy me some peanuts. I buy me. Buy me. Buy me. Buy me. Buy me. Buy me. Or take. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, quirky. I, I guess I mean someone consider that quirky. That's normal. That's great. I had to yeah, reach for that because to me that's normal. Well in some capacity right now. Yep. Um, 
what is one superhero power that you want? Um, I want to freaking be able to move objects with my mind. Yes, telekinesis. Tele telekinesis, like Jean Grey, very powerful yeah. telekinetic. Um, um, X-ray vision's nice, but I mean, metaphorically, since I already can see through the bullshit, I, I mean, technically, I got X-ray vision already. So, great, love it. Okay, um, what is your superhero power now, Jason Debilius? Um, I'm I make everybody feel safe that I'm around. I can give you a hug. Someone smaller than me, I put them in my arms and they feel safe. Like nothing in the world can hurt them. Not on my watch. Um, I can have a conversation and people are, feel safe talking to me. The whole reason why this podcast took off is there are certain things like volleyball players. Volleyball players got in trouble saying things on my show. You know, I got a guy. I got a guy that was banned by the AVP for two years because he he just um, there was a feud going on between AVP and Kerry Walsh about um, people contracted players playing out for outside franchises, and this guy's complaint was, "Look, you guys only have eight tournaments a year. You know, uh, we used to have sixteen. We have to. We I don't want to call myself a professional, and I'm living in my mom's garage." <laughs> We're mm -hmm. elite athletes. We we are, we train just as hard as the big three. Baseball, they train hard. Volleyball players train harder than baseball players. And we know the salary difference. So so he got banned because the the owner, uh, Donald's son, uh, got a mixed message. Donald's son never heard, didn't even hear the podcast. He didn't say anything bad about the podcast. He said, my, 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 my argument is when the AVP is not in season, we have to be able to make money. Yeah, of course. I mean, I live in California. It's an all-year-round sport. And Platform 1440, uh, a, a league that Kerry Walsh developed, the purse money is just the same. And some of the tournaments are, are, are more than the mm -hmm. AVP. And one of the tournaments was a co-promotion, like FIVB. So now you get FIVB points, chance to go to the Olympics and international mm -hmm. recognition. So you got to let – so um, Bill Kalinske, I'm going to just say it, because he's, he's back in the AVP now. All right. Um, wow, that's that's and, a, that's and me rough. honestly, honestly, I think that's probably what got me decredential. I used to do media for volleyball one on one, and then, then um, you know, I'm not getting credential by the AVP, but the, the um, I talked to the owner, uh, not the owner. I talked to the guy who runs it, Jeff Conover, and Jeff Conover said he never had a problem with my critique with the AVP because my critique was never unfair. I'm not talking about why they suck. I'm not. I'm not saying Donald's son should go off and die, um, uh, but I don't. It's it's a podcast, and I and. I don't hold back from what I, from what I have to say. I'm not this way because I'm on camera. I'm on camera because I'm this way. So, hey. so, um, so, and I mean, Nate, if I did it everybody else's way, do you have any idea how rich I'd be right now? <laughs> if I sucked up, if I, if I just did it though, the way everybody else say, say I'm supposed to do it, do you have any idea how far ahead of the game I'd be right now? Mm. Um, and that's why people feel safe around me. That's great. My That's my, great... my superpower is I'm I can physically and mentally, psychologically make you feel safe. That's great. What um who would win in a fight, DC or Marvel? Marvel. Ooh. Any right any real life superheroes that you know, besides your mom and dad? My, neither of them are superheroes. <laughs> Sorry. My dad mostly because my dad taught me how to be a man. Um, he was, I'm a son of an iron worker. My first job was 14 years old. I'm, I'm his assistant cutting steel, reading blueprints and stuff. So, so he taught me how to, he taught me how to work hard. I didn't know how to work hard. I'm, I'm, as a kid from the ghetto, I didn't know how to work hard. Um, mm -hmm. uh, real life superhero is Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Yeah. And Jesse Ventura. Joe Rogan, um, because 
he's the conscience of the United States of America. He doesn't speak as a Democrat. He doesn't speak as a Republican. Um, and it's weird because every time he says something nice about Democrats, I'm like, oh my God, he's one of us. And then next thing you know, he's got Ted Nugent talking about, hey, you know, <laughs> the pesticides and vegetables are killing squirrels, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Uh, and then Joe talks about hunting. Oh, oh, he's, he's a right wing nut. So anyone that tries to look at this guy from a political perspective has no idea. And that's exactly the kind of guy you want in, in your life. That's that's the conscience. I predic I'm predicating my whole podcast on him. Well, you know, I get political sometimes, but Joe Rogan's my hero. And Jesse Ventura is my hero. Jesse Ventura is an ex frogman turned, you know, which is a, a division from the Navy SEALs, who became a wrestler. He was a bodyguard for Anthrax, uh, um, um, one of those rock rock groups, and then. Didn't like, I didn't didn't, know that. He's in Minnesota, right? And didn't like what yeah. was going on. And he, he said, all right, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. You'd like this because you're an activism guy. I want to do something about it. I don't like what's going on in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Minnesota. I'm going to run for mayor. And then he won. I don't like what's going on in my state. You know, I think education should be, should be better. I want, I want a rail line. You know, uh, what the hell are we spending our money on? I'm going to run for governor. He polled it at nine percent, which got him into debates. And if, you, if he could debate him, he could beat him. And then he became governor. Yep. So these these are my heroes. That guy, one year of college. I mean, That's it's good. it's real easy I'll... for someone to be a hero when everything is just fucking handed to them, you know. And for those people, I'm not I'm not illing out on them either, Nate. I mean, if you're lucky enough, if you're born where you already have an advantage and you use it, cool. That you're on, we're on the same team. But those. This is great. But I'm not going to make a... the leap that those are my heroes. Right. There's a great uh, experiment that teachers do with kids where they have them. Uh, they're, they have a trash can and they have the front row. They said, okay, in the front row, crumble up some paper and throw it into the garbage. And they all, you know, make it into the garbage. They say, okay, second row, crumble and they throw it. And then they keep doing okay. And then like one person misses it in the second row and then third, fourth, fifth row. By the time they get to the sixth row, like maybe one or two people are making that from the back of the room. And they said, uh, so that's, that's great. What, what that is, is privilege. It's not your fault you're in the front row and you have an easier shot, but you have to acknowledge that it's a harder shot from that sixth row. Mm -hmm. So that's a great lesson on privilege. What are you going to do with this advantage that you have? Are you going to make it easier for people with the, with the harder shot? Yep. I this, love that. Then this is why I can't be left or right. I mean, people ask me what's my political party, and I I, I was a um, independent for a while. Then I was a Democrat for a while because you had to to be in the primaries to vote for a certain candidate. You had to register Democrat in New York. Yeah. Um, you couldn't be. Um, but I'm not not no party preference right now, and. But I do lean more left than right. I do believe in the concept. Uh, on you'll like this, if you are fortunate enough to take the elevator to the penthouse, uh, push lobby, send it back down. Yeah. I mean, that's, push, that's kind of push one lobby, of my... send it back down. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean that for me is the greatest crime on earth it are the haves that are sitting on their gold, like dragons, uh, when they could truly, truly make a huge difference. So I admire people that are doing stuff with their power and wealth. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, but who's yours? Who's your Who's your hero? Who's my everyday hero? Um, no, I my everyday hero is um, I guess uh, one of my good friends is her name is April Tam Smith, and she works for 
uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, but she also in her day job, she uh, her night job is she founded a restaurant that gives 100% of its profits to charity. Uh, and Ooh, she, my hero <laughs> and crazy. And they give a lot of it to Haiti. So she's impacting lots and lots of people down in Haiti. Um, and she's doing, and she's showing people in the banking world, what you can do with your, with your, um, power and money, uh, and just an amazing human. Um, just incredible. Okay. What is your passion, Jay DeBilius? My passion is volleyball performing, uh, be it, albeit theater. I'm, I'm thinking about getting into film. Um, I've never done a film. I, everything I've done was it was on stage, if you remember, as a Marymount Manhattan. And I've done more out of work stuff during the school year than I have after I graduated because I got stuck back into volleyball. I got the city college coaching job and then, you know, got firewalls from theater. And I don't know how to get back in, but I'm figuring that out. Um, nice. Twice a week I sing karaoke because karaoke makes me sane. Um, nice. Um, and you'll like this from a psychological perspective. Sometimes you, you want to do your jobs and sometimes you don't. But this, there's certain things you do X amount of times out of the week that if you do these things uh, and you relieve that stress, it allows you to function at your job like a normal mammal. So when volleyball, when my, my passion became my career or my, my escapism became my career, I needed another escapism because sometimes things don't go no, always go your way. And if your strength uh, is your weakness, which is I personalize my work, if your strength and your weakness are the same thing, and at your lowest moment, it just hurts. It hurts too much. So you need an outlet. You know, and Monday, every Monday and Thursday, I sing karaoke at Tower 12 and um, Hennessy's um, anything. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Sweet Transvestite, No Diggity. And then, and then it allows me to do my job as a volleyball coach and commentator like a, like a mammal. It's normal. Yeah, you know? buddy. I like That's Nate. Uh, before you ask your next question, I, the other reason why I like what you're doing is because it's important that kids are still able to feel. So feeling good is is one thing. Feeling bad is what whatever. But feeling bad is not the worst feeling. The worst feeling is when you don't feel that anymore. Okay, New Yorkers generally feel everybody around them. That's why everybody calls us like the most uptight people you ever met in their life. Because if on the train, just walking by someone, interacting, sitting next to someone, we feel everybody. It's like we feel we, we, we just do. And California, uh, uh, the, the one thing that that uh, uh, I miss about New York, that California doesn't offer it. It's I'm very desensitized. I'm um, like, like if. Yeah, I don't know. Let's say some guy with a dad bod, you know, Karch Karai had his rolling his eyes at me like he's a better person. I'm like, if I'm from New York, I pick it up and I'm like, man, fuck that dude. And in California, you just don't see him at all. <laughs> Cali, you just don't see him at all. You're just in la la land. So um, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but it's an observation. But the thing I like about you, it's important that these kids feel as much as they can. They feel good. They feel bad. They acknowledge it. Uh, and and you don't, don't take drugs for it unless you have to. Just sometimes a bad patch is you got to go through a bad patch that's you know that's life right you got to make yeah. got to make some break some eggs and make an omelet <laughs> you're right um but with the technology that exists now and with what we know about people's emotional journeys there are ways that we can definitely help and mm -hmm. give give tools for them to work through their issues yep uh and and a way that we can craft entertainment and craft fun in a really cool way. The way, the one I'm doing with the superhero universe, I don't want education anywhere near it. I don't want them to think that they're being handled or they're being, it's just going to be kick-ass. It's going to be yeah. X-Men meets Assassin's Creed. 
And if they pick up stuff about other cultures and start learning about other people, awesome. That would be a, a win because right now a kid from Brooklyn doesn't know a kid from Upper West Side, doesn't know a kid from China, doesn't know a kid from uh, Canada or Brazil or whatever. It's it, it, They're all just people on a screen and those people are different than me. So if you get them to collaborate and just game together, then you're going to be onto something and get people to just start knowing who each other are. Yeah. And people out there listening right now, vet your studies. Okay. You see something that says study show this study show that vet your freaking studies. Okay. I'll give you a, uh, it's a volleyball podcast. I'll give you an example argument about midline passing and this and that someone was like studies shows that midline passing doesn't really help you with your game and this and that and i'm like okay what was the study um was it um outdoor volleyball because we're, we're talking about beach volleyball and it's like no it was indoor um cool was it a, a men's team no it was a women's team cool was it a d1 program no it's d2 um how long do you do the study for um like four weeks uh no uh, uh five days and i'm like so study show what you know, so I'm, I'm always I always tell people the lesson of the day, be, vet your studies. If someone tells you study show, ask them what the study is, ask them what what the lurking variables are, ask them what the, the margin for error is, plus or minus. And then there are levels. All right. There's you. I'm not going to talk to you about study show because you're the scientist. <laughs> right. I'm a volleyball coach for 20, 21 years now. OK, I've been playing for 30 Um I'm going to look at some studies, but at the end of the day, I have to appreciate my research too. That's years right. and years of, of, of doing practices and, and knowing what works and what doesn't and figuring out why. And sometimes you study the biology and this and that. But at the end of the day, pay attention to studies. But the longer you're into something, the scientist is you, my man. Yeah. Scientist is you, Nate Lombardi. Yeah. All right. Check it out. Ready? Yep. Lightning round. One or two words. Would you rather fly or teleport? Teleport. What? Are you an introvert or extrovert? Extrovert! Would you rather choose Wolverine or Cyclops? Wolverine, even though Cyclops are blasted. Do, <laughs> do you prefer sweet or salty? Sweet. It's a sweet Bat one. <laughs> Batman or Iron Man? Iron Man. <laughs> YouTube or Netflix? YouTube. Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel? Wonder Woman's just so fucking hot. You said one word, sorry. <laughs> super strength or super smart? Super strength. <laughs> I'm already smart. And as far, do you have a favorite illustrator or comic book writer out there that you love? No. Maybe your child? No? Okay. How about a favorite actor or someone that you admire besides Joe Rogan and Jesse Ventura? First actor that comes to my mind, maybe not the my favorite one because it's lightning round, Denzel Washington. Uh, I, I really like he's one of the hardest working guys in the business and he he he, he performs like he he's performing for a contract like he don't already have his money he's like lebron james you ever see the way lebron james plays lebron james like he's plays like he's playing for a contract like he don't have his money some people to get their money and you kind of see ah. no Le like denzel performs like he doesn't have his money <laughs> like, you know, like he's gonna get paid later yeah, yeah that's great yeah. that is great and I like him because he flies under the radar. He didn't get caught up in all this social mess. It, to him, it's about what's right is right and what's, what's wrong is wrong. You know, no decent woman's person is completely one or the other. You know, listen. You know, let it swirl in your head. Then form a response, yeah. says Chris yeah. Rock. 
sure. I like that That's lightning round. <laughs> what? I like that lightning round. How about you? you like that? You super strength or super intel- intelligence? You know, the, the, the knucklehead me wants super strength, but um, knowing, thinking about it, stepping back and thinking about, well, if I were super smart, I don't need strength. Right. Right. Because you, you can, uh, you can, you know, it's coming. It's true. Uh, yep. Right. It's, it's kind of like when Thor and Iron Man are like, oh, what are you without your suit? Right. Yeah. He's a millionaire. Person. Yeah. Right. Well, how about Captain America's response? Do you remember what he said after that? He said, I know guys that are none of, shit, no, right? no, he said, I know guys that are none of those things worth 10 of you. Yeah. Did that get under his freaking skin or what? Oh, the best part of you came out of a test tube. You know, <laughs> he felt like he had to get back at him. And you know what? That hurt his feelings because he knows that's true. And he knows that that I, I, he... um. You're special, but you're also a type of person. And Captain America was talking about a different type of person. Okay, you know, he didn't. He's not blessed with intelligence. He's the, didn't didn't have the advantage. Didn't have a rich father, and he's still a better human being than you. Why? <laughs> worth ten of you. I know guys who are none of those things worth ten of you. Woo. Good writing, right? Good writing. Yes. God, I'm an X Men person, but the writing made me love Avenger, the Avengers movies more than the X Men. Dark Phoenix, that that girl who played um the the Stark the Stark girl, she basically ruined any X Men movie from from for, she was hopelessly miscast. You know, I'm not saying she sucks. I think she's a good actress, and she was she was cast very well in Game of Thrones. Um, I didn't like her for Dark uh, for Jean Grey. I didn't. I thought then that that was the biggest problem when you're doing the a uh, 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 character like the Apocalypse or Emma Frost mm-hmm. or Sebastian Shaw. You can't throw someone in the middle of that. Uh, Fastbender made a great Magneto. Um, I mean, Professor X, these guys were tough to replace and they, the, 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 the casting and the writers and the directors or whoever's in charge of that did a good job transitioning X-Men. Every single one of them except her. And now I like yeah. all the Avengers movies with, with um, Infinity Wars being, not Endgame, but Infinity Wars being my favorite. It's going to be a whole different thing now that Disney, they're going to start rolling out different X-Men and different, uh, in different Marvel movies now. Yeah. That's, I, that's, I love yeah. your comparison with Batman and Iron Man because they're both millionaires. They're both entrepreneurs. Um, they both came from uh, uh, wealth and they both use their tools to, to become superheroes. Um, and it's weird because I think I only like it because Robert Downey Jr. played a better Tony Stark than Christian Bale, who's so freaking intense and so it's so talented. I, I liked I liked Tony Stark better than I liked his Bruce Wayne. I like the humor of it all. Yeah. I mean, and that is the movie, right? So I don't I don't really know enough about I don't I don't haven't read enough comics Iron Man comics to know if that was his personality. Yeah. Um, but. Do you know that's my like sleep timer? What's Aven- that? Avengers Infinity War is my sleep timer. Um, mm. I watch it and I, 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 I clock it 30 minutes or an hour. And then I hear the beginning when that guy's like, hear me and rejoice. You know, when they, they, they um, destroyed Asgard. Uh, and when he does that, I'm out. And then I'll wake up somewhere in the middle of it. Remember when he came to Earth? He says, you have the privilege of dying at the, children, at the hands of the children. I'm sorry, we're, we're closed today. He's the Earth's closed today. <laughs> It's still funny. I, I 25 times. Just get your stuff and get out of here. <laughs> Does this blathering fool speak for you? And he says, no, I speak you for you. You definitely me. have yeah. such a gift for um, memorization. But, and, and he's uh, funny, like you said. That means get lost, Squidward. <laughs> yeah, it's really He, ex- he exhausts cool. me. 
Um, Bring me the. So I got I got four minutes before I have a, a call. Uh, is there any other things that you want to um, talk about before we? No, but what I want you to do is plug in where people can can know more about the Groovy Projects. People people can know more about what you're up to, and you can use all four minutes of it. But I want uh, I want this on tape. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you can find us on the Groovy Projects on Facebook or on. Uh, on Instagram, uh, what I'm doing now with the Superhero Universe, uh, I will take your interview that you just did and I will edit it down to five minutes and uh, I will start doing this thing called Comic Book Curious. Hmm. So I'm going to do this through, I've done it to a bunch of Broadway people, TV people, comic book creators. I'm very interested in the people making comics and loving and the fans of comics. So um, if you want to throw me any any people that you know that have followings or that are comic book fans uh, that you know uh, and yeah. shout out to them. I will. Let Bernard those. Norman is the best source for that because he. Who's that? Bernard Norman. He was a volleyball player with me. Black guy, crazy bald oh, head. Yeah, yeah. We nicknamed him Satan. He just recovered from the COVID. He had. He, um, oh yeah, he's okay. Yeah. I thought he's gonna die. He was. He said he was in a hospital in Harlem. I'm like. And I don't want to sound racist, but they, they, they don't take care of black hospitals the same way they do while Cornell. Um, and I was like, shit, please live. Just just get out of there. <laughs> just have them treat the symptoms. But Bernard, sorry, Bernard, um, Great guy. big in the comic books. And if you if you ever Skype or whatever you see in the background, he's got all of the figurines behind him. He's got all the all, all the video games, probably pre-ordered cool. Avengers. Um, and once you get that one guy. Then you got thirty more because he's he's um he's he's about that life. Great, mm -hmm. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll reach out to him, dude. Well, since you got, to, I, I want to give you some time to prepare for your your other thing. I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show, taking time out of your precious time. My time is valuable. My technician, her time is valuable. She's not here today, Nate. The things you're doing because symbolism is not activism. Your time is exceptionally valuable. I love you to death, my artist and my close friend and my brother from another mother. Late for Nate Lombardi, everybody. This is episode thirty-one. I am Jason. Debilius, and I say, we're out. <laughs> See ya. See ya, brother. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.